Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Thursday, first of yesterday's news. I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Wednesday. Uh, come on, Grant Robertson, lift your game. That's the little message from Kate Hawksby there, not me. Kainga uh, Ora. A lot of criticism about what's happening with who they're housing. Uh, Lush is, uh, they're off, off the socials. And Marcus talks chips. The end of the podcast. I know what's happening there. But first up, it uh, looks like travel might actually be back on. But this bloke's not happy about it. Yeah, I'm just uh, pretty disappointed. I've got a brother who's living in Australia. And um, I was hoping to see him for Christmas. But he won't be able to, you know. It seems silly. Yeah. Oh, the news is worse than that. He's not going to be able to come here until the 30th of April. Yeah, it just seems to deny the inevitable want and just rip the bandage off and just let the country go. It yeah. Silly. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not... I hear what you're saying, Richard. And I'm, I, I know there are a lot of people that subscribe to that sentiment, rip the bandaid off and let the country go. I, I understand that they've got to be cautious, but they've been really cautious and it served us pretty well. But man, I, I just don't understand, you know, why when there've been no fully vaxxed COVID positive cases from the two and a half thousand people who come from Oz, why you'd have to wait now till the 17th of January? Because there's a lot of pain that people have already accrued. This is going to heap misery upon them over the critical time, late December, early January. A lot of people have to go back to work by the end of Jan, too. Yeah. 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 yeah no, you did get right there, so it's just disappointing, really. Yeah, there's nothing more disappointing than having to go back to work. Remember work? Remember? Um, I don't. I haven't done it for years. Uh, anyway, um... So, of course, a big part of the government's COVID response is Graham Robertson, because um, he's the Deputy Prime Minister, and I think he's in charge of all the money as well. So, um, Kate wants a little bit more from him. Then there's the disharmony in her cabinet. Ministers contradicting each other, cabinet divided between the Auckland sympathisers and the Wellington sycophants. I'm hearing it's not the happiest of camps. So why hasn't... Grant Robertson risen up through all of this with some, you know, elder statesman appeal. Instead, he seemed deaf to the cries of business, particularly in Auckland. He's not gone into bat hard enough for corporates, sole traders, those abandoned overseas, companies, beauticians, hospo, or those drowning under the burden of a collapsing MIQ system. He's appeared as aloof and removed as Jacinda's been. Nothing is more expensive then opportunity squandered, and Grant has squandered it. He's presided over the largest stimulatory fiscal response in the nation's history. We had the balance sheet capacity, and drawing on it was the right thing to do. The why was right, but the how has been woeful and wasteful. Business has been left aghast on the sidelines while Grant's run his own agenda of where the largest sums of money the nation has ever spent were invested, or rather squandered. School sandwiches, anyone? Robertson's communication style and demeanour, if you've noticed this, has also shifted. You know, he's no longer the pragmatic, hard-working, willing-to-engage Grant Robertson from 18 months ago. Instead, he now appears smug, all-knowing and unquestionable, quick to anger, increasingly snide and cynical. You'll see it when he performs in the House. Petulant and even aggressive. So we've seen that calm, unflappable veneer crack right open 
at a time we really needed him to be solid, which begs the question, who then in this party has kept a cool head? I guess it does come a time in any emergency situation where everybody just panics. Everybody. It all goes out the window. Maybe now's the time. It sounds like it's all gone out the window with housing New Zealand. What? A lot of questions being asked and not many answers being offered. But there are 24,000 other people living in emergency houses waiting for homes. Presumably many of them are children too. Why don't they get the opportunity to move from a motel to a state house? And the tenants, who don't know how to live in a civilised society, get the motel room. The government and Andrew McKenzie say the very worst people, the most vulnerable in government speak, need to have a secure base so their underlying issues can be addressed. But at what cost? We save one family and destroy the lives of ten? Where is the incentive too for these appalling people to address their addiction issues, their mental health issues, their anger management issues, when they know there are no consequences? Why? Would you engage with support services if you knew your bad behaviour got you to the top of the waiting list for a state house and kept you in it, provided you kept behaving badly? The moment you clean up your act, the moment you show you can behave in a civilised society, the moment you can hold, hold down a job, you're told, right, well, we need that place for somebody else who's more vulnerable. Where is the incentive? It is completely and utterly ass about face that bad behaviour is rewarded over good. It is a glaring example of all that is wrong with the government's emphasis and policies. Is everybody a bit wound up, a bit uptight at the moment? Do we all just need to take a long bubble bath? This is my desperate segue into the news that Lush has decided to uh, take themselves off social media. Wow. Oh, if you didn't know, Lush, they sell not really bubble bath, but things that do make bubbles in the bath sometimes, and bath bombs and other smelly things. I would have thought that this is a really big call on their part, given how big cosmetics are on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they tried this in 2019, and then, of course, COVID happened, and everyone had to go back online. Um, but you're right, it is a huge move. Um now, some people say that it's because it's uh, a form of, I guess, um, you know, signalling their ethical stance on things. They've always been known for that sort of position, and and so they, you know, they want to, I guess, now uh, signal that they don't agree with what social media, uh, I guess, stands for and the type of, um, you know, um, effects it has on mental uh, health and well-being. So that's, I mean, that's good, but it is an extremely uh, risky move because, you know, as, as you say, um, cosmetics. A lot of it is about. You know, seeing influencers talk about the product, seeing beautiful pictures of the product, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, I do know that they've kept up a YouTube account, so I guess they will be trying to sort of uh, plug up the gaps using that platform. And they are still on Twitter, so they will be able to at least communicate. Because, of course, the risk of dropping your social media is that you lose that channel of communication with your customers. Yeah, so, so yeah, it would be very interesting to see what happens. The other thing, though, is that what it does is it also kills off a lot of criticism, right? Because they have in the past, you know, had had their critics kind of flood their social media accounts. And if you haven't got those accounts, that can't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, social media is a two-way channel. So it's not just about you controlling the channel of communication and putting out there only what you want people to see. When you're on social media, 
everything's on the table. I've never been a massive consumer of social media. Um, I mean, it's mostly because I'm watching movies about spaceships and aliens and car crashes. And I just don't have time to watch shorter movies about people lip-syncing the songs I don't understand. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm consuming less and less all the time. I, I used to look at Instagram a little bit, but it's just people complain about and have opinions about things that I am just so not interested in. And there's so much advertising everywhere. Just can't be bothered. I tell you what, I feel lighter for it. And saying that, if you have found this podcast uh, via my Facebook page, thanks. Um, thanks for coming. Oh, it's not finished yet. Don't go anywhere because uh, we, we've got some chip talk to wrap with. Most people, if they don't get enough chips, they scream blue murder and they post it on Facebook. Do you, How much do you think this would cost? But I'm firmly of the belief if you are feeding children like I was tonight and I got them fish and chips and I got a scoop, the Fovo Dairy, very good fish and chips. Um, I like to dine. I like to go and order. I know people do it by phone. To me, that's I'm not a f- don't like to order by phone. Seems lazy to me. Don't know why, but anyway, what am I talk? Where am I going with this? Oh yeah, one scoop of chips. But if you're a parent who's getting your children fish and chips, you want a very small scoop. Otherwise, you eat a lot of them yourself. Because the kids have four or five, and then you find you've gazumped the whole lot. That's what I find. That's why I think that's the curse of the big scoop. Because basically they're delicious, but you don't want them. I'll tell you the other thing about fish and chips drives me crazy. There's one criteria for a fish and chip shop which drives me to distraction more than anything. And I might be a super taster, I might be slightly obsessive, but the number one thing for me with fish and chips, gosh, I'm sounding preachy. What do you think I'm going to say? Do you think you can guess what I'm going to say? I think you'd be surprised. The number one criteria for fish and chips is, and this for me is a total deal breaker, is they clean their filters. Because if you go in and it stinks, it's never good. Big build up without much payoff there. I don't think that's a, a controversial opinion. I think you want a relatively nice smelling fish and chip shop. Um, it's all. I also, so hang on, he was complaining he was getting too many chips, is that what's happening? And isn't a scoop like a standard size? I, I've noticed that some, a lot of places, you don't order it by the scoop, it's by the amount of money. You have $3 chips or $4 chips or $5 chips, which is, that's, there's definitely a vague area there, isn't there? At least, it's, like if it's a scoop, it's just, that should be a standardised thing, and you know what that is. But maybe you don't. Oh damn! I want chips now, though. Wow. 
Um, and certainly, I don't think it makes any difference whether you call or go in. Imagine if you found out that you can actually order online at some places. Ha <laughs> ha! Loses mind. I'm not talking about it on social media. Don't worry, Lush. Calm down, Lush. This rave at the end um, has gone on too long because now the podcast is 12 and a half minutes long. Sorry about that. I've given you too many scoops of podcast. Be back with another scoop tomorrow. See you then.